In 2004, Newsweek magazine ran a cover story entitled, The New Infidelity. From office affairs to internet hookups, more wives are cheating too. The article claimed, and I quote, more women are cheating on their spouses than ever before, and the infidelity gender gap is almost certainly closing, end of quote. In a different article, one marriage counselor said that she started practicing 20 years ago, and at that time, just about 10% of the infidelity that she knew of was committed by married women. Now it is closer to 50%. Surveys tell us that women are increasingly being drawn to cybersex and online chat rooms. According to one survey done by today's Christian Woman magazine, 34% of their female readers admitted to intentionally accessing internet pornography. News sources talk about the skyrocketing hookup culture. Now, for those of you that are unfamiliar with the term hooking up, um, it is a social form where the sexual activity precedes the dating or the relationships. Now, the actual hooking up is not really anything new. What is new is the large number of women that are talking openly about hooking up and pursuing casual, uncommitted sex. That's the new part. One Christian book that I recently read noted that one of the biggest concerns that mothers have today for their sons is aggressive girls, and apparently with good reason. Also, thanks to Facebook and other social medias, the number of emotional affairs and emotional infidelities are increasing. increasing. Then, of course, you have the, um, the um, softcore porn that is offered up in the form of women's romance novels, or romance novels that women are drawn to. Lust and immorality used to be seen as predominantly a man's problem with the occasional uh, side issue for the occasional woman, but that is no longer the case. Women have been for decades trying to be equal with men in all things, and it appears that this is an area where we are becoming very successful, sadly. Joshua Harris, who is an author and preacher, quote, says, wrote a book and quote, says, lust may be the defining struggle for this generation, end quote. Sexual immorality is very real, it is very dangerous, and there is no one in this room that is immune from it. If you did your homework, and I hope you did, we read Ephesians, the first part of chapter 5, which had an, a lot to say about sexual immorality. And if you would turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to start at verse 1. This is going to make a lot more sense if you have your Bibles open and we go through this a verse at a time. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, we've seen that word before, haven't we? Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved 
That was what Tina sang about this morning, okay? As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In this chapter, Paul is once again going to address what we are to do. He's going to address behavior, in particular, sexual behavior, Okay, so Paul starts off. He says, be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, this should have a familiar ring to it because we had a similar thing last week when we looked at chapter four now or two weeks ago. You remember in chapter four, Paul had us by the shirt collar and he was saying, don't act like the Gentiles. Don't live like pagans. He was telling us, live like Jesus. He was telling us, walk worthy. Right, this week, we're seeing a similar thing. He's telling us, imitate God. Act like his children. He has made you his children. Now act like it. Act like there's a resemblance, that there's a family resemblance. Now how do we do that? Well, he says, look what he says. He says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for him. We imitate him with the lifestyle of sacrificial living, loving. We live Loving people sacrificially. Now that is the opposite. That's the opposite of being self-centered, self-indulgent, selfish, opposite of all those things. Now keep that in mind as we read the next passage. Verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Immediately after telling us to imitate God and love sacrificially, then he begins to address sexual immorality. Now, sexual immorality was rampant in Ephesus. If you were here during our first introductory lesson, we talked about this a little bit. We talked about how Ephesus housed the temple Diana. And with Diana, they had um, temple prostitutes. The worship was highly sexual. All right. The Greco-Roman world, sexual immorality was considered normal. So fornication, adultery, uh, homosexuality, all of that was very accepted for men, not women, but for men. There was no shame in it. Now, we want to remember when Paul writes to the, to the Ephesians that he is not writing to people that had been raised in godly Jewish homes. He is writing to people who have most likely been participating in this type of activity. So he's going to address it. All right. So let's take a look. One of the first things we want to do is let's define those three terms that we see in that verse three. And I have them in a box for you on your paper. Uh, first one, sexual immorality. Okay. In the Greek, that's the word pornie, from which we get the word pornography. It is a word that describes any illicit sexual activity outside of the divine bounds established by marriage. In the Greek, it is a very broad term that includes it all. So homosexuality, adultery, fornication, it's all covered with this term. Next word, impurity. It too is a broad term, and it refers to moral uncleanness in thought, word and deed. So when we are talking about sexual immorality, we are talking about the thought life, the activity, the speech, all of it. All right, covetousness. Some of your versions may use the word greed. In the Greek, it is a word that describes an insatiable selfishness. 
You see, at the root of sexual immorality is greed and covetousness. It's, it's that selfishness. It's that um, selfish, self-indulging desires. It's wanting something that is not yours to have. All right, now think about how this is the antithesis of walking in love. Walking and loving sacrificially is in polar opposition to sexual immorality and impurity. Okay, notice what he says. He goes on to say that it is not even to be named among you. The NIV puts it this way. It says there must not even be a hint of it. Now, what does that mean? You know what that means. It means there is not to be even a hint of it. There should not be a hint of sexual immorality in your thought, in your speech, or in deed. And why is that? Well, he answers that question too. Verse 3, he says, It is not proper among saints. It may be proper for a pagan, but it is not proper for a saint. If we're to be the holy temple, we cannot live unholy lives. It's not fitting. All right, look at verse 4. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Okay? So, the, all right, no joking, no crude talking, no, no foolish talking. And, and then we're told why. Because it's out of place. Now, um, some of your versions say it's not fitting. It does not fit your new identity. Now, if you were here uh, last time, we talked about how um, now that we are new uh, in Christ, our very reason for talking has changed. Now we speak to give grace to the listeners. Now we speak a word that is fitting. And what does Paul say? This is not fitting. Not fitting. Okay. I want you to notice what he tells us to replace it with. He says, but instead... Let there be thanksgiving. I used to read this passage and think, what do I do with this? Okay, instead of sexual immorality, I'm supposed to give thanks. I, I, I didn't, couldn't figure out what the connection was. I mean, why not replace immorality with purity or righteousness or something like that? You know, if your child, if you have a teenage son and he's saying something that's, you know, uh, off color and you're trying to encourage him to stop that and you tell him instead to give thanks, it was just, I, I wasn't... <laughs> I was just having trouble uh, connecting the two. Well, now I understand a little bit better. Because if sexual morality, if at the very heart of it is that selfish, self-indulgent, coveting um, mentality, then thanksgiving is an appropriate um, response to it. But I think there's also something else. I think Paul is also telling us to stop filthy talk and crude talk and instead replace it with thanksgiving for sex. Thanksgiving for God's design for sex. Okay, so instead of of joking and being crude, we've got to bring to the table an appreciation and a respectful attitude about sex as God has designed it. All right, now, what we're going to see next week or the next time we're together, um, Paul is going to continue to talk about this. He's going to talk about how marriage and sex becomes a picture of Christ joining with the church. 
And so he's explaining to us, listen, this isn't something to be joking about and making light. We're instead to have a respectful and a thankful attitude toward it. Now, let me ask you something. Would you make jokes about communion? Would you, would you have silly talk about the cross? No. That would be totally out of place. And you know what? Paul is saying this belongs in the same category. Now, here's where things get a little squirmy, at least um, where it made me squirm. Would you watch shows or movies or listen to music that made fun and made jokes about communion or the cross? What if you had a show that repeatedly misrepresented communion or the cross and treated it irreverently? Or maybe they showed people pretending to do it with no regard for God's instruction about it. What about that? Now, if we want, uh, if in case we take immorality too lightly, look at what he says next in verse 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, now remember, we're talking thought, deed, speech, that is an idolater. All right, a little time out here. What you are coveting becomes your God. Okay, that's what he's telling us here. All right, let's continue. Has no inheritance in the kingdom of God, of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Okay, Paul was writing to a church that had been living in a sex-obsessed culture. Not only were they saturated with it, much like we are, but they had been greatly perverting it and distorting it and cheapening it. Now notice what Paul says. Jump down to verse 11. He says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible. Listen, we're not able to expose much because we're participating in it. We're speaking about it. We're speaking about the things they do in private. If not speaking, we're watching it. And Paul says, it's shameful. It's shameful. Paul has just told us that because of our new identity, of all that Jesus Christ has done for us, we are not to have a hint of sexual immorality in our lives or in our churches. And, and yet he points out at the same time that we live in a world that is very dark. We live in a world where we are going to be totally surrounded by it. So then what do we do? How do we live worthy? How do we walk in a manner worthy underneath, under the circumstances? Well, last week we talked a lot about um, walking worthy with our speech and with our emotions and this week, we want to focus especially on walking worthy uh, in the areas of our sex lives. And so how do we do that? Uh, we're going to be just scratching the surface on this. But there are a couple of things from this passage that I think we can um, zoom in on. So on your papers, number one, imitate God, love sacrificially. Love sacrificially. We saw that in verse one. All right, now remember, we said if 
at the root of sexual immorality is selfishness and self-centeredness and self-indulging, then we're going to put self to death and do what Paul says, imitate the Father, love sacrificially. That's putting the, um, the interests of others above your own. Now, if, if we do that as a church, if the church is imitating God, then the church's immorality problem is going to disappear. Okay, number two. Personally, tolerate nothing. Tolerate nothing. When it comes to your own personal sexual immorality, we are not to have even a hint of it in our lives. Okay, that's our new standard. Nothing. Right, now that means that we're going to have to guard our minds, we're going to have to guard our tongues, and our behavior. Okay, you know what that means? We may be cutting things off and gouging things out and taking very radical steps. All right, next. Verse 6, it says, let no one deceive you with empty words. Okay, we need to know God's word on this. So number three is be not deceived, know God's truth about sex. Be not deceived. Now, the feminists have been trying to define sexuality for the past 50 years. Add to that Hollywood and pornography and what has done to distort the right view of sex is bad. There's a lot to undo. And so you are going to need to know for yourself what God's word has to say about your sexuality and about your femininity. And you're going to need to find it out and get into the word of God for yourself to figure that out. Now listen, I am not saying that you go off and you read some lady's blog about this or some book. You need to get into the word of God yourself. And here's why, because this is a heart issue. And as you get into the word of God, he addresses the heart. You have no such guarantee with the words of man. Now, am I saying that um, uh, a blog or a book can't be helpful? No, I'm not saying that. They can be very helpful. They can be very helpful. But it has got to be your secondary source, not your go-to source, your secondary source. We have a habit of making it our primary source because it's easy. It's quick. It's funny. Okay, now, in having a right biblical understanding of sex and sexuality, we women would be very wise to understand how our male counterparts work. They want us to understand this. Okay, so this is something that you and your spouse need to talk about. Um, Also, if you have sons, actually, if you don't have sons, this is either way, it is very wise to understand the stages that your son is going to go through. There is a, a book, uh, just one recently I'm familiar with, is Dana Gresh. She is, um, wrote the book, How to Keep the Good in Your Boy. And she has a chapter where she and her husband give some very helpful um, explanations of what your son is likely to experience in the years ahead. And do you know what? It can be very eye-opening to a woman. We are not wired like they are. Also, as I was preparing this, Every male preacher or writer made a point to say how hard it used to be for a young boy to get his hands on porn. They, he, they all said, everybody wants to see it, 
but you used to have to really jump through the hoops to get your hands on it. Not the case anymore. Not the case. They all made a point to say that kids today are seeing images that their generation never even knew existed. Okay? Again, this is an area that you and your husband are going to have to talk about. You do not want to be clueless. You do not want to be deceived. Okay? Also, I'm getting ready to teach um, the teenage girls. Next Sunday, you can pray for me. I'm going to be teaching the teenage girls on the purpose and God's design for sex and marriage. The pastor is going to be doing something similar with the guys. Now, um, inevitably, when you plan something like this, you're going to have a couple of different reactions. You will have somebody that says, um, you know, I'm not sending my child. We're going to handle this on our own. Okay, fine. You will also have people that will come up and they will say something like, um, uh, so-and-so is not going to be there. I just haven't had the talk yet with little so-and-so. And when I hear something like that, I am usually thinking, um, honey, you're about 10 years behind. Now, am I saying that you should sit down with your three-year-old and give them a detailed explanation of the birds and the bees? Okay, no, 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 not saying that. Please don't misunderstand but you are going to be teaching them about their sexuality from the moment you bring them home from the hospital. They have been created either distinctly male or distinctly female, and you are going to be teaching them that. You're going to be showing that that has everything to do with their identity. It has everything to do with how they are going to display the glory and the image of God in their lives. Okay, so you're going to be talking about this. Okay, um, we want to also remember that the world is teaching them. And they are trying to confuse them and distort them. They're trying to hijack the whole issue, which they've done successfully. And if you think, if you think that a 15-minute conversation when they are 13 is going to undo all of that, then, then you're being very naive. Okay, now what do I mean about an age-appropriate lessons? Well, I'll give you an example of one. When Mackenzie was about two or three, uh, maybe younger, as soon as she became aware of what she was wearing or uh, just having an opinion on it, uh, I, I would end every dressing session or shopping session or whatever with the words, um, oh, yes, I think your father will approve of that, or, oh, daddy would like that, mm. Yes. Or, um, oh, honey, I'm sorry, that's too skimpy. Daddy wouldn't go for that. Now, if he were home, he would tell her himself, but he worked long, he worked long hours. So um, I, I did that. Now, as the boys got older, then they were thrown into the mix. We would be shopping, and I would say, honey, you'll never get that past your brothers. You'll, sorry, it's not going to work. And she began to learn very early on whether she liked it or not, that her appearance was a family affair. It was a family <laughs> concern. Now, she didn't always understand why. You know, the boys were older. They figured it out sooner than she did. She didn't understand, she didn't understand why, but it didn't matter. You see, because I wanted to teach her that she had to dress in a way that was respectful and honoring her daddy. She had to dress in a way that pleased and honored her earthly father. So that, see, the goal was to teach her to dress in a way that would honor a heavenly father, a heavenly father that she could not see. But you start with, the, you start with what she can see. You start with what she, she can understand. 
And you want to start young. Because if you try to have a conversation about clothes with the girl that's a teenager, or if you wait till she's starting to develop, and then you start talking about it, all right, you know what? It's going to be an uphill battle. The, um, the, the, the nice thing uh, with Mackenzie is when uh, she became old enough and she had a um, relationship with Christ of her own, by the time she was a teen year, in her teens, we didn't argue. We didn't fight about clothes. We didn't fight about modesty. We, we had our share of arguments and fights. We, we would both admit to that. But um, it was not about that. It, it was not about this issue. I can remember her going to a um, swimming party uh, for the youth and, and a leader coming and making a comment on how cute and how modest her bathing suit was. And she, and she approached me about it because she thought I had something to do with it. And um, I, I, didn't, I wasn't there when she bought it. By the time she was in high school, she was uh, making honoring, honorable choices on her own. Okay, also, something else. I, I never had her take dance lessons where she was going to be taught how to shake and shimmy and, you know, strut on an audience in front of people. For me, it just seemed like it was contrary to what I was wanting to teach her about her body. So there was um, just little decisions we made early on. Now, I want you to notice verse 11. It says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Listen, one of the biggest ways that you take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness and instead expose them is you teach your children. You teach your children. You take the children that God has given you and you teach your children truth. Truth about this topic. Okay, so let's add that to our paper. Teach your children a biblical view on sexuality. By the way, Dana Gresh, <clears throat> who wrote that book, recommends that you have the actual birds and bees talk at about 10, in some cases as early as 8. And here's why. She says, because it is easier to build the value system that you want if you introduce the concept rather than have to try to dismantle a faulty one. Okay, back to the passage. Verse 3, it says, must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints, plural. Saints, plural. Now, nowadays, uh, when my family, we, they're all in town, and yet getting together can be tricky because we're all on different schedules. And so I've learned to make great use of the group text. I will send a little, whoop, one little text and it shoots out to all of them. Now, Ephesians in many ways is like a group text in that there is a message for the individual, but there is a family concern all throughout this book. There's a concern for the family. Now, I want you to think about some of the things that Paul has called us in this book. What's he called us? He's called us the body of Christ. He's called us a building. He's called us a holy temple. He's called us a family. He's called us the household of God. So then he brings up the issue of sexual immorality. And yes, there is a message for the individual, but it's also a family concern. Okay, and we want to keep that in mind. Um, the, remember, the church, the body of Christ, is to be putting on display the grace of God as a family. 
Okay, so number five on your paper. Remember, sexual immorality is a body issue. Body issue, as in church body. Now, Josh Harris points out that in the matter of lust and immorality, he says we need to lock arms with other believers. We need to be helping one another in this area. All right, now let me ask you this. Maybe you're here today and um, sexual immorality and impurity is something that you are struggling with. Maybe you can identify with some of the statistics that I read earlier in the lesson. Maybe you're at a place in your marriage where your husband is maybe not as attentive as he used to be or as romantic as he used to be, and you're lonely, and you find yourself fantasizing about things you shouldn't be thinking about. Or maybe your, your husband is not a believer, and you find yourself attracted to one who is, and then your mind goes to places that it shouldn't be going. I have been teaching women um, for a long time, and I can tell you that godly women struggle with this. So what do you do? Uh, well, for one thing, keep in mind all the things that we've talked about. Also, on the back of your paper, I have some notes from um, Revive Your Hearts. That is Nancy Lee DeMoss's radio website. It is a very solid resource. She's got great resources there. And she gives you some guidelines uh, to consider as well. And those might be just a good thing to have on hand, all of them based on, on Scripture. Now, um, also, consider talking to someone about it. And by that, I mean a woman, a woman who is strong and solid, somebody who will speak truth into you, somebody who will pray with you about this, someone who will not be afraid to tell you things that you don't want to hear and, um, and keep you accountable and be accountable together. So um, one of the things that Joshua Harris says, he warns against trying to deal with lust and immorality as a lone ranger. And see, women, men are more likely to talk about this. Women, we don't talk about it. But um, he says, lone rangers are dead rangers. So let's move on to uh, verse 15. And I liked this in the NAS uh, translation for this one. Verse 15, therefore be careful how you walk not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Okay, we're to live like wise men. Now, why is that? Well, because the days are evil. Now, I'm sure I don't need to convince any of you of that. But if we're going to navigate through the evil, then we have got to act wisely. Okay, wisdom is what tells us the, what to do, what the best form of action is to respond to something. Now, if you're like me, I get very stressed out and very discouraged at, at evil and watching the evil grow in our society. But Paul has some very, uh, he has some wonderful instruction for us. He says, make the most of it. Make the most of it. You see, he knows something. He knows that the evil in the world is going to give us an opportunity to put the grace of God on display. The evil in the world gives us an opportunity to put the gospel out there for the watching world to see. So Paul says, make the most of it. All right, th this means that the next time uh, there is an evil comes up in your children's school, you know immediately what you're to do. You're to make the most of that. Now, what will you, that mean you, for you to do exactly? Well, 
You're going to walk in wisdom. You're going to ask God for wisdom. What do I do in this particular case? But we know, make the most of it. Number six, be careful to live wisely. Make the most of the opportunities, the opportunities given to display grace. Okay, verse 17. And I'm back to the ESV. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay, when you are drunk with wine, you're filled with wine, and you're saturated with wine, so that wine controls you. Okay, Paul is telling you, you're to be saturated with the Holy Spirit so that it controls you. Now, I have a little side box, or I have a little box on your paper. Because so far, in the book of Ephesians, we've talked about being sealed with the Spirit, and we've talked about being filled with the Spirit, and we want to distinguish between the two. Okay, being A, being sealed with the Holy Spirit means that I belong to Christ's body. When you were sealed by the Holy Spirit, that was done for you. It was done at conversion. Okay, it has to do with it authenticating your salvation and protecting your salvation. We talked about this when we went over chapter one. You can review your notes on that one. Okay, B, being filled with the Spirit means that my body belongs to Christ. Okay, now this is an ongoing activity, right? This is something that's going to be continual, and you are commanded to do this one. All right, now, we are to be controlled, dominated, influenced by the Spirit. We're not to be controlled or influenced by the outside things. Uh, Remember, he's just told us that the days are evil, so we're going to keep that on the outside. Now, instead, we're to be filled to the brim with the Holy Spirit. Now, how do we do that? Well, look at verse 17. It says, understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay, the will of the Lord is that we obey God. Okay, we obey God, and that's how we are filled with His Spirit. Now, what will it look like if someone is filled with the Spirit? Now, we're going to talk more about that next week, too, next time. But if somebody is drunk with wine, we can usually tell that. And, same, and the same thing, if we're filled with the Spirit, then there's going to be some indications of that as well. Now, let's look at what he says. Verse 19 addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, Paul is telling them, listen, instead of getting together and getting drunk with wine and talking silly and practicing sexual immorality, things are different now because you're going to be filled with the Spirit now. And the Spirit's going to be flowing out of you. The Spirit's going to be spilling out of you. And so there's going to be a change. There's going to be a change in your activities. There's going to be a change in your speech. There's going to be a change in your joy. Now, look at what he says. He says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, we're not going to take the time to break all those down. But clearly, if we are speaking in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, God is at the center of the conversations and the gatherings and the meetings. He's the topic. Now let me ask you, what do you talk about when you get together with your Christian friends? 
Now, I know we get together with our Christian friends and, and we talk about our struggles and our burdens and our problems. And, and, and totally, we should. We're family and we care for one another. So we totally need to do that. But what I, I want to know is when, when, when you're together, are you as excited about the things of God? How long does it take you? before you're talking about the things of God? And do you get as excited about that as you do about the most recent Bachelor finale? Or Downton Abbey? How much time do you spend talking about the things that God is showing you in your quiet time? Or the things he's showing you when you wrestle with him in prayer? See, I have a theory I have a theory that we're not talking about it a whole lot because it's not going on. There's not a whole lot going on because we're filling ourselves with the world. And so when we get together, that's what we talk about. We talk about what's filling us up. And Paul says, be filled with the Spirit so that that spills out. Okay, number seven. <clears throat> In reference to the Holy Spirit, be filled up and spill out. Now, we're going to talk more about that next week, or two weeks from now. Two weeks. Okay, lastly, if we are going to talk about sexual immorality and the way it is a body issue, and the way that we're to be joining arms with believers to handle it, then we have got to talk about the matter of modesty. Modesty. If you do any type of simple research on immorality in the church or purity in the church or anything like that, you are going to see a request repeated every, over and over and over again, and that is men requesting that women dress modestly. <clears throat> Many of them explain that they are trying to be godly and pure and pursue God, and yet they are created to be visually stimulated. And so when women walk into the church immodest, in, in modest clothing, <clears throat> it's incredibly distracting. Excuse me. <clears throat> Several of them made a point to say that they are hit with this 24-7 out in the world. They would like to become to church functions and come to church and have it be a haven. Okay, and it needs to be. So I'm going to go over some suggestions or tips and these uh, concerning dressing modestly. And these do not, these come from men. Okay, this is not an old spinster putting the list together. Okay, these are things where men say, help, help, this is distracting. Now, before I give you what I'm going to say, I want to make sure that we understand this is not about giving you a list of do's and don'ts and measuring hemlines or anything like that. This modesty is a heart issue. Okay, it's a heart issue. But... We have been studying Ephesians for the past seven weeks together. So, okay, we've been addressing the heart. At this point, we know that keeping a bunch of rules and do's and don'ts, that doesn't save us. We know that. We know that we have been, um, that as uh, believers, we are on display. We're to put on, dis- put on display the glory and the grace of God. Uh, we've talked about that. We've talked about the importance of the body and being united and we understand at this point that if we are doing something that 50% of the body is having a problem with, then, then it needs to be something we address. So at the risk of giving you a list, I'm going to give you a list. <laughs> okay, 
Now, we want to remember something. We want to remember that men have been created to crave your body. Okay? Adam sees Eve in the Garden of Eden. What was she wearing? She was naked. Okay? She was naked. And what does he do? He breaks into song. Okay? okay this, this is the way they are wired. They have been created to be visually excited. Okay? And we need to understand that. Okay, this is, that's, this is the way they've been created. All right, so with that in mind, there are three categories. And this is a great thing. I know I'm preaching to the choir, but this is a good thing for us to understand and start teaching those around us in the church. Okay, number one, is it too much? Is it too tight? Is it too little? All right, those are kind of three categories that we want to be thinking about. Now, when we're talking about is it too much? That is primarily dealing with excess, you know, the big braided hairs, and that's what it was kind of talking about, more talking about in the Bible. The extreme, doing the things that's calling attention to yourself. Okay, that's not modest. Now, um, I want to talk more about the sexual angle of are you showing too much? Okay, now, with that, um, a big one is are, are, are men seeing clothes that they're not supposed to see. For instance, I didn't, you don't think about this, a bra strap. Uh, apparently that is a, that's a problem. Parts of your bra, parts of your panty exposed. Um, we, you know, we don't think anything of that. But apparently a man sees a bra strap and he thinks, uh, I wonder what the rest of that looks like. Okay, so they're, they're, they're thinking differently. Um, printed words across the butt and the chest. Apparently that's too much. Okay, also, and a big one for, especially for this age group, uh, you're at an age where you're having to bend over, pick up, carry kids, put the kids on laps. You know, are things showing that shouldn't be showing whenever you're doing stuff like that? So you'll have to kind of be careful in those regards. Okay, um, also, this is a big one, uh, keeping your legs closed so that there's not too much in view. Okay, this is, one man said this. I thought this was interesting. He said, um, Make sure that women sit uh, legs together. And he said, if you straddle something, even with pants on, he says, if a woman straddles something, whether it's a bench, whether it's a chair, whatever, if she is straddling something, even with pants on, he said, understand something, all the men in the area are taking note of it. Okay? So that's too much. All right, let's move on to, is it too tight? This is the one that is supposedly the most commonly... Uh, our biggest uh, common mistake in the church, particularly in the church. Is it too tight? And for that, we ask the question, without much imagination, can someone tell what your body would look like unclothed? Okay. Now, can they see? Here's one you wouldn't think of. Can they see the outline of your undergarments through your clothes? Are your clothes so tight that, you know, your bra is outlined or your panties are outlined? your bikini panties, or if you're wearing a thong, and they can see that that's the outline of that. Apparently, that's very distracting. Um, We need to understand that modesty is not simply covering the flesh, it's concealing the form. Okay? Now, um, here's one. Gym clothes, spandex, they're always on the top of the list. Always. Uh, When you think about it, they just don't leave a whole lot to the imagination about what we've got under there. So um, more than one example, of, I read uh, several examples of men that said that they can no longer go to the local gym to work out. It's just too distracting for them. So um, 
you can keep that in mind. Also, the latest fad today, wearing tights without a dress over them, you know, you basically might as well be walking around naked. That's just, uh, that's just not good. Okay. Oh, Dana Gresh, she does modesty conferences, and one of the things that she teaches the girls to do is a, a check. She'll have them pull out their clothes and kind of see if there's a snap or some major zing action. And if there is, she says, you know, that, that's too tight. Go back and change. So, um, you know, what do you do for something like this? How do you fix this? Well, just be careful that you're buying clothes that don't cling and, and pronounce your form, you know. Also, um, buying clothes a little closer, looser, sorry, <laughs> looser, and dress in layers. Layer, dressing in layers is just going to be the answer to a lot of issues because you can do that and look attractive and yet uh, dress modestly. Okay, the next one, the one we probably can all... Uh, or think of, is, is it too little? Okay, general rule of thumb is the more skin you've got showing, the more trouble it is for them. Okay, that's just, that's just the way it is. This is also include sheer clothing, if they can see through your clothing, so that they can see your form, so that they can see your undergarments. Um, this is a problem. Okay, now I'm going to, um, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you some body parts that are recommended to be covered now, um, obviously, anything that your underwear cover, okay, that's just a given, okay? <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, but these ones are things, I'm thinking particularly coming to church and so forth, um, the things we need to keep in mind. And remember, this is a list by men. This is everything I've said. These are things where men have said, we got a problem with that, we got a problem with that. Okay, here, number one, the most obvious, cleavage, okay? Cleavage, spillage. Just boobage of any kind, okay? Just, it's got to be covered. Cover it up. Um, and apparently loosely covered on top of that. Um, a good thing to invest in, a, you know, like a, a tank top that kind of comes up, kind of goes down. Uh, it's just a good accessory to have. And so um, need to be covered. All right, number two. This is, this is one that um, might slip past us. The thigh. The thigh. That's on every list. Okay. It's just, you know, it's just close to... <laughs> you figure it out. Okay. All right. That means mini skirts, shorts, long skirts with the slit. Okay. It's shown the thigh. Okay. Now, a good accessory for church, because remember, everything gets shorter once you sit down in a chair. Good accessory for church is a sweater. You can throw it over your legs real quick and just, uh, it just helps. Okay. Um, number three. Now, this is one that may surprise you. Bare shoulders. Bare shoulders. Of course, bare shoulders and an exposed back, but particularly bare shoulders. People come to church with bare shoulders and may not think anything of it. Um, the spaghetti straps, that's just well, apparently a problem. Bare shoulders. Um, and again, that's an easy fix because all you have to do is put a little sweater or a little shrug over it and, and you can uh, problem solved. Okay, and here's the a, here's a next one. The midriff. The midriff. And it can be a little peekaboo or, you know, something bigger, you know, where you've got your whole ab and, and, your, and your hip showing. Okay, so um, that's, that's a case where the, um, the white tank top comes in handy again too because that can cover that area as well. Okay, um, that needs to be covered. Okay, now I want to tell you a little story about this. I once, I once had a, a lesson on modesty and sexual immorality with some teenage girls. 
And I told them, I gave them some of these ideas that had come from men. And, and I shared with them, okay, I'm not making this up. These are things where men have said, we have a problem with this. This is a, it's, it's causes us to trip up and struggle. And so um, I was explaining that to them. And their reaction at first was, first they were mad. They were mad that they had to just be bothered with any of that, which I understand. But then they, then they began to be convicted about it. They began to feel concerned about it. And then they went home and talked to their mothers. And the next week, they came back and said, yeah, we talked to our mother about this, and she said not to worry about it because it's not really our problem. Ephesians makes it your problem. Okay? Now, is modesty and immorality just about the clothes you wear? No. No. Do we have time to address it all this morning? No. <laughs> no. But the good news is that you will get to talk more about this in your small group. And you can. You, you do have some more time. You're going to have some good conversations today about this. So um, let me close us out in prayer. And I had an announcement to make. Erica, next week they can bring more stuff. So if you missed the opportunity to bring things to uh, for connections, that list, if you need a copy of that list, you can contact us. I can, we can send out some more information to the mentors so that you can remind your girls about this next week. Ah, thank you. Thank you. Don't bring them next week. No one will be here. Two weeks. Two weeks from now. Two weeks from now, we meet again. We're going to finish some more of this conversation and bring your stuff. And I did not thank the musicians this morning. Thank you. Thank you for opening things up. All right, let me pray for you so that you can go get to your groups. Okay. Oh, Father God, how we praise you for your word, how we praise you for how it is, it is living and so relevant. I praise you that it encourages us. I praise you that it convicts us. Father, we, we thank you for the way you're, you address our heart in it. Now, I just pray that you'll go with each small group and just be uh, magnified in it as they discuss your word. And we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Amen.